Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark as usual. No date or time stamp on this one, a bit of a keeper episode. We're going to throw in when now internets don't align or we're away on breaks or whatever, unwell, whatever. Um, how are you, Mark? I'm great, Brendan. It's a beautiful day here and I am just pumping. Well, don't know how you know it's a beautiful day because who knows when this is going to air, but it is a beautiful day at the time of recording. For those new listeners, vetgurus at gmail.com, send us an email, say hello, vetgurus.com, log into the website, have a poke around, download all of the previous episodes, lots of lots of juicy goodness mark lots of continuing education to catch up with and guess what it's all free all free fantastic um yeah i'm well as well mark thanks for not asking um things are good here um i can't complain and i was having a little bit of a think about gee the world has changed hasn't it lately ever since the old the old covid hit um i think things will never be the same as the way people sort of evaluate Everything from work to play to, to life in general. So, um, you know, things like people, you know, not businesses closing offices completely, you know, not veterinary practices because obviously you need to be able to do your surgeries, etc. But a lot of businesses realising they don't need you know, an actual building um, and, and people can work from home and then not as you know, slack is what people thought, you know. Some of the studies were showing that people working at home, if it was done correctly and, and um, they were given leeway, they were actually more productive, weren't they, Mark? Um, so. It's a funny thing, Brendan. I've, I've noticed two things about this. The first one is that many, it's, this is a, I've noticed, uh, I've read this about Sydney. Many of the people that have paid, many of the businesses that have paid very high rents for office blocks in Sydney are demanding that their workers come back to work because they've got to pay the rent. They're locked in. Yes. Um, and um, and despite the fact that um, that the work's getting done, as you said, just as effectively, um, and people seem to be a little bit happier, um, some businesses are still demanding that their employees come to physically to work. And the other thing I have noticed is that while you can definitely see people do their work as well at home there still is that need for uh um what's the you know the face-to-face -face social, social yeah, interaction yeah. yes and um the percolation of interpersonal reactions relations that uh add an extra level of um of uh process to work um, I still think you can't do absolutely without it. And I don't know that it's, you know, we're already so switched into insular. We're insular, Brendan. We don't um, talk to people face to face. And to have a whole slab of our social interaction stripped away by COVID and, and now not even go to a physical place of work... Um, geez, I don't. Um, I, it's it is all different, and I don't know whether it's good or bad or what. Yes, 
Well, I think the people that are coping with it the best um, manage to juggle that and they do things like, uh, um, well, they, I mean, the other thing they're saving is transit time too, aren't they? You know, oh, some, some people, yes. you know, an hour, two hours each way to work. So when they think, gee, I, I can just roll out of bed, you know, eight o'clock or whatever, when it, if they normal, normally start at nine or 8.30, whatever, and away they go. But, um, you know, the people I've seen who are sort of coping with it better than others are, 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 are managing it, like getting up early and taking the dogs for a walk or having a coffee and having a bit of social interaction down at the local cafe first before they wander back to home to, to start their working day and, and making sure you, you know, that difficulty of separating you know, work from home, I think, is one of the big, big, big difficulties, isn't it? It's a bit like with um, uh, when you're studying uh, yeah. full time in those days where we where we study full time at university, trying to block out. You know, for, and for some people, they physically have to do that. You know, um, 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 block out times. Um, well, physically on their um, pad, um, on on their agenda um, calendar times to say okay i'm not going to work during these hours or i am going to have sunday off and the long weekend off and force themselves to put that to diarize that to to make sure that they're spending that time off because it's so easy with working at home as well bleeding into that time isn't it um to you end up working longer hours and and um you feel like you haven't got gotten away and then that home Ends up feeling like the workplace that you that you sort of um, don't like um, or regret, you know, um, being at. So, yeah, there's a lot of juggling to do, and, and things are different now, aren't they? And I don't think they'll ever go back to the old, you know, structured way. And, and it's a matter of trying to be more flexible and working out what works. Um, and, and some things don't work for some people, like like you mentioned. And so I, I think there's some people who. Have to have that interaction where they they need to go into a physical office and and and, and work. You know, um, it's interesting too. Um, the uh, I know that there's a big movement, but I, I was looking in Melbourne just recently, Brendan, and there's a a number of share offices that um, you know that uh, businesses are using. Not so they have to pay the whole rent, but just so that they can go in, you know, the team can go in one day a week um, yep. and uh, occupy the space, have have breakout rooms and and offices, and um, and then the next day, a completely different business or organisation is occupying the same space. Um, that that I think that is the way of the future. Yep, I actually investigated one of those at one stage when I was messing around with another little business with my brother many years ago and they're quite flexible those little you know higher by the hour or higher by the day office sort of facilities or you need a little meeting room you know and it can be everything from pain by the day or hour or you have a, have a sort of you know share you know you you pay a monthly fee um and and you get x amount of hours use of the office space and you can have the office as your actual you know physical supposed postal address as well you know to make it look like it's more than just you working from home <laughs> yes. as well so yes well enough office talk mark um we've we've um 
eaten into our news time, um, so we won't have any news stories this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll jump into. We're going to try and be punchy, but it's a bit a bit of an interesting topic, I think. This one, it's a broad one, so we're just going to touch on a few of the few of the important bits with it, um, and and some of the tips that we've you and I have both managed to out over the years we're going to talk about intubation of exotic pets so anesthesia and intubation of them and the, the difficulties and, and fun aspects and the tips and tricks of doing that mark so do you want to jump into it i do brendan and i think it's like absolutely an excellent topic and um and i think it's absolutely important to become proficient at it i know when i was first trying to intubate a number of different species i was quite well afraid and and there are individual difficulties some species have uh have peculiar aspects to their um upper respiratory tract which means which makes intubation a little bit um uh unusual yep. for most of us small uh, that have experience with small animals um and so i think it's very important to overcome that fear and realize the benefits um and one of the benefits for me has always been that when, you know, with our unusual and exotic, our avian patients, we're often anaesthetizing them at a time when things are more serious. With well, a preservation reflex means these animals are often much more ill when we anaesthetize them than other species. And so we want to be ready if they decompensate to immediately protect those airways and ventilate them to have the best chance of keeping them alive and if you don't if if you're trying to stick a tube in when they decompensate mm, no matter how much adrenaline is going the chances are slim that you're going to work it out so having it in at an advance huge advantage yes it's well it's a gold standard isn't it having a having a patent airway and having, having the animal intubated and obviously there are certain species and in the exotic field especially, that we may struggle to intubate and, and we may not intubate as a, as a routine sometimes. Um, and we'll chat a little bit about that as well. But, yes, it's the fear, isn't it, Mark, of of um, not only dealing with something that's out of your comfort zone because you have an exotic or an unusual pet that you normally haven't, well, you haven't seen before, but also how the hell do I intubate this um, animal, Mark? Um, and I think one of the important things we need to get out there straight away mark is the reason why we need to intubate the reptiles and the birds do you want to yeah. talk about that well it is common practice these days to uh, ventilate them and whether that's uh, mechanical intermittent positive pressure ventilation or um, uh, having a, um, a technician anesthetist uh, um, hand manage the anesthetic it's very, very common in in most practices that deal with avian and reptile patients um, to have a, a machine that um, that artificially ven- ventilates them. And the beauty of this, I find, one of the things I always talk to people about these machines is that it allows you to. One of the things that happens to birds in particular is that as they ventilate less well, they don't decrease the rate. They just don't take as extensive uh, um, ventilatory, ventilatory ex, uh, expiration. They don't move their airways as much. And the beauty of the IPPV is that you can maintain that uh, volume 
of ventilation and therefore maintain a more stable anesthesia and make sure they're not going too deep. Let me unmute myself again. So <laughs> what are you saying there, mate? You need to have them intubated in order for them to breathe. No, <laughs> I'm saying you need to have them uh, uh, intubated to control their breathing. They're still yes. going to breathe, aren't they? But the problem is um, with anaesthetics, you're always going to have a decreased um, uh, degree of ventilation. The weight of the body, particularly in reptiles, the weight of that um, body wall on the simple sac-like lungs means they just can't ventilate to the same extent. Um, so uh, uh, IPPV... And they won't, uh, yes, and they won't respond to uh, low CO2 levels like the mammals will right. as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, so we want to, you know, so, so basically we want to have those reptiles and birds. It's even more important to have them intubated than the, than the mammals because of those reasons. So let's jump into what people want to know, um, what techniques and how, and that's always going to be tricky, isn't it, in a podcast, how to explain, <laughs> describe how we intubate them. But we'll we'll run through some of our, you know, off-the-cuff um, tips about the techniques and, and the gear that we use for them. And I think perhaps if we jump into the birds and the reptiles first, let's, let's take the reptiles first. And um, the good news there is, for the, especially for the medium-sized lizards upwards, most of your snakes and your turtles, etc. Um, as far as actual gear goes, um, we can often use the same sort of uh, endotracheal tubes that we have in the clinic already. Um, so I'm talking about the 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 um, tubes that are down to 2.0 um, um, size um, internal or external diameter tubes, Mark, you can readily get. So the normal sort of tubes you use for a small kitten for instance um can fit in the, in these animals um, it does get a bit problematic when we get into the smaller um reptiles and birds um or if we stick to reptiles at the minute um and that's where we need to either get creative and make up things and that can be as um as far as the actual et tube um can be made from for instance a intravenous a large bore intravenous catheter um of appropriate size you know so that might be a you know, 18, for a small reptile, it might be an 18-gauge catheter or, 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 or for a slightly big one, a 16, 12-gauge catheter where you take out the stylet and that catheter is actually introduced into the trachea and then attached to the little adapter for the IPPV unit or the anaesthetic machine with them. Otherwise, Which is, which, which is yeah. why, Brendan, you must always hang on to, you know, when those two-millimetre internal diameter uh ET tubes get worn out, yep. you toss them away, um, you want to hang on to the adapter That's uh, because they fit neatly into the, the uh, lure tip, the lure connector of the cannula, um, and it just makes it that little bit easier to connect them up to your anaesthetic machine. Yes. Um, and there are, well, there's an increasing range of, of, of commercial ET tubes made specifically for the exotics uh, and uh, the Cook brand uh, uh, CWOK is probably the one most commonly uh, mentioned but there are 
several of them. And, and it, the good news there is I think my, most of the major veterinary wholesalers these days um, um, will, will know about them. I and mean, if they don't sell them specifically, they'll be able to point you to um, the companies that do produce them. So bottom line is if you are dealing with unusual exotic pets, you will end up buying a set of the, the custom-made ones as well. But, but don't be afraid of getting creative, Mark, and... and um, using those small catheters etc um you know so i've even used sometimes um give inset tubing mark um yep. can, can yep. work um so it's a, you know and it's pretty soft there so it doesn't injure and you just cut it on a bit of an angle so it's like a wedge shape um to go into the trachea there um, um part of the difficulty of dealing with the really small animals is we have to be cognizant of the um small diameter there and the fact that it may fill up with secretions there and um, the increased sort of um, pressure that goes on with that as well with the decrease in diameter. Um, I forget the the physics rule, Mark. There's some little physics rule, isn't there, about airflow um, that, 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 um, that talks about as the diameter decreases in half at you know, pressure increases by, you know, a, a great, much greater amount. So um, you need to be careful about when you do have these little animals um, or these animals with the small tubes intubated um, that that if things don't seem to be working quite well with the with the anaesthetic and you get in um, funky values, Mark, with your, with your machines um, or the animal just doesn't seem to be that stable that it may just mean that you need to pull out that tube and check that it isn't full up of gunge which is so often the case isn't it brendan you you will pull it out and there'll be a little neat mucus plug and just double checking and clearing that um is is a, a really important exercise making sure they don't kink because they're so small um they regularly do um have a tendency to kink and that can block them up and so it's always good to have a couple of those uh, catheters, the wide bore catheters, so you can switch them quickly. And the other thing is that the length of the tube, it's really important to um, uh, to make sure that you do that whole measuring thing. Make sure that it's uh, a short distance into the trachea, just shy of the thoracic inlet, um, and cut it so that it's not excessively long. You don't want um, a small mammal sitting there on the table with a foot of tube dangling out um, because that um, that uh, redundant ED, ET tube may, the volume of it may even be greater than the um, uh, exper- you know, the amount of gas they're exchanging each breath. Yes, and we forget that, you know, those standard ET tubes that we use in cats and dogs, that's why they've got those markings along there. You know, we, we tend never to, to cut them, but they're made that way. And, for example, you know, we, sometimes with the the human ones, you'll see the same as well. They're they're marked and they're once off use, so they measure yeah. the tube and then they cut it at the length, so it's just the the the, the minimum length you can get away with to attach the anaesthetic machine to it. So yes, and I do find the other thing about the the catheters, Brendan. I'll be interested in your opinion, but I often find that that very where it narrows down at the end, where it, where it's you know designed to slip into the vein, line up with the stilet really uh, well. That team seems to be uh, you know be more because it's thinner. Um, that very end of the catheter, um, it's more likely to collapse or collect mucus. or So um, chopping that off and making it the appropriate length is a good thing to do. Yep, 
I agree. I agree. So what about techniques, Mark? Are there any particular um, techniques? Of there is a big call, I think, to make here that you've – and I don't want you <laughs> taking a lead here, but we need gags. Um, gags seem to be, you know, something that holds the mouth open. Most of these species, most of the reptiles, most of the birds, the uh, glottis, the entrance to the airways, is in a very, very useful location – um, forward, just behind the tongue, easily visualised. Um, but you've got to have the right uh, um, arrangement to hold the mouth open. Um, make sure there's not, you know, my big stubby fingers, if I'm trying to hold the mouth open with those, there's just no space to, to even visualise what's going on. Um, yep. And visualising, having a nice bright light, often a head torch, um, because uh, you need to be able to see what you're doing for most of these species. Um, but that combination, a gag, some good uh, light, um, uh, an experienced support person, whoever's helping you to do it, holding the head in the right way. Often with the reptiles, just some gentle tension on that gula fold. The snakes um, will have a, that uh, soft, fleshy gula um, pouch underneath the tongue under the chin yes yeah. so get the ask the nurse or the assistant to shove your finger there push your finger upwards from underneath <laughs> underneath in between the um jaw jaw, jaw there our mandibles there and it will enable you to visualize that glottis that much better um and with with some of them i i find um uh, for, for instance, bearded dragons, Mark, um, I tend to get a gauze swab and I, because that tongue is so slippery and I reach <laughs> into the mouth and grasp that really fleshy tongue and pull it forwards um, and that greatly aids the intubation of those um, animals. So don't be afraid of, of doing that with those um you know, agamid lizards like the bearded dragon. Um, and I find it very difficult to intubate them without doing that as yeah. part of the process. Mark. And and one of the difficulties there is if the animal is not completely anaesthetised that you you often get chomped on with a, <laughs> you know, semi-asleep, you know, reflex chomp from that. And I'm sure you've had that happen a few times. That's why I always ask you to... <laughs> get the, the tongue out now, Brendan. The the um that I meant to mention before the tubes for our reptiles and birds. Um, we don't if they have a cuff, we don't inflate it. Um, the Why is that? reptiles, well, our reptiles and birds don't have C-shaped cartilaginous rings. They're entire O-shaped jobbies, and as a consequence, there's no. Uh, trachealis muscle there's no uh, membrane at the top which will stretch if you inflate a cuff as it does with dogs and cats um, and an inflated cuff will put pressure on the tracheal mucosa and particularly in birds I've had this happen despite my extreme care um, you can end up with a little uh, bit of necrotic um, uh, mucosa and it may even mean um, that you uh, end up with a, a uh, um, damage to the trachea so severe that it ruptures. Um, so just being very gentle, as we always are with airways, and not inflating the cuff in those species is critical. Yes, excellent point, Mark. Don't pop that trachea. <laughs> <laughs> so um, birds, Mark, what's different about 
intubating the birds as a general what off the top of your head run through a few things that um, tips and tricks well i think the key thing uh is first of all the the um, glottis is relatively easy to access um, you don't want to go down you can damage the syrinx the syrinx is a complicated structure at the bottom of the airways and you definitely can damage it if you go down that far. The trachea tends to narrow as it goes down, and so you will often find that if you put a tube in at the top, that's a nice fit. It will go down a little way and wedge, and you just want to come back a little bit because of that pressure story. Some of the birds we anaesthetize, particularly the water birds, pelicans are a good example of this, they have some strange processes in that glottis, and, uh, and you can think oh bloody hell there's a big spike sticking up in there and how am i going to get around that but if you use a slightly smaller tube you can get around it and get down into the airways and you're all good the other thing that's interesting about birds of course is that they have no diaphragm and so um, they have air sacs and you can actually in situations where you can't easily access the glottis so say for example the bird has um has uh, inspired a a seed and is partially obstructed you don't want to be poking a um anything into yes. the trachea that might dislodge it push it down and block the whole thing off and so you can um in the the uh, various locations that you can access the the uh, air sacs but particularly that uh, paralumbar fossa um, you can poke a little hole through there the muscle wall is relatively thin. You can separate it and uh, stick a uh, air sac cannula, often a simple um, yes. uh, butt of the you know the connector from your from your um, ET tube. In some species, will be enough, um, and you can uh, have the birds breathe through a hole in their side while you're uh, extricating the seed from their windpipe. Great tips there mark great tips now our small mammals the one that people are always going to panic about mark is the rabbits oh i intubating rabbits but you're a gun intubating rabbits so we generally talk about three or four different techniques of being able to intubate them so let's run through those mark and and the difficulty is it's hard to if not impossible to visualize that glottis just by opening the mouth mark because we have that little little flap um the glottis sitting way back there in the you know back of the pharynx there and also having that little flap off and over that um, glottis there mark so we need some gear don't we typically um, yep. some of it can be simple um or and I don't do this technique anymore, but we talk about the blind technique, Mark, um, and that's doing it by feel. And um, it's a bit of a tricky one to describe in a podcast, but it's basically hyper, hyper extending the the. Have it one of the tricks with with intubating rabbits with the blind technique, and I did used to do it, and I probably had a I don't know ninety percent success rate, is having the animal not under light anesthesia have it fairly you know moderate to deep anesthesia um, um after in inducing it um so we're not having any little um reflexes and, and glottal reflexes there mark so hyper extending the 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 lifting the rabbit up from the table hyper extending the the, the the head and neck backwards arching the the neck backwards basically um 
choosing an ET tube, maybe a little bit smaller than you'd think for the size of the animal. And typically for the rabbits that we see, it's it's either a 2.0 up to a 3.0 in a really big rabbit. So either 2.0 or 2.5 or a 3.0. Um, it's always better to get a tube in, even if it's not quite super tight, Mark, than, than no tube at all. Um, and we're just gently sliding that tube down the back of the throat as we have that neck extended and often you'll you'll know it's in because it's a bit of a field technique obviously um, a blind technique that's why it's called that um, and some of them do do almost like a little cough mark as you know yeah. and you know and you check by the usual method of you know looking for the condensation on the tube or, or a little bit of cotton ball um, cotton wool or whatever with it um, but that's certainly one technique um, and the others are sort the, of there's two other quick tips about that technique that always sure. helped me to increase now I never got to 90% but I jumped from about 15 to 45% by um, first of all making sure I stuck to the median plane that was, you know, it's very easy for the tube to wander off left or right um, and really concentrating on the medium plane. Getting that nose, as you said, hyperextend the neck. I always told the staff to get the nose pointed at the roof. Um, if I got it to that point, um, then that seemed to set the anatomy well. And a stilette, Brendan, because yes. I can't get the, the um, you know, the tube will slip off left and right, the flexible uh, plastic of the tube I need it to be a little bit more rigid and so um, I would always use some form of uh, stilette to hold the tube uh, relatively you know so I could predict that I'd be in the right part of the anatomy um, great point I mean are you helped. sorry Sorry to interrupt you, but uh, yeah, um, and I'm using a stilette in all of these techniques because it, otherwise it just, even when you're doing the visualised um, assisted techniques, we'll talk about in a second, um, it could just bounce off and around um, the, the glottis instead of going into the trachea there. So our endoscope guided one, Mark, is the one yes. that I tend to use the most commonly um, these days, 99% of the time. And it's I call it the cheat method because it's such an easy method there. And I'm just using my little Storts um, um, 2.8 millimetre rigid endoscope. Um, with Product slightly, placement right there. Yeah, with slightly, <laughs> open, well, this one, this Storts <laughs> one's so old it should be in a museum, I'll tell you what, but it still, it still works. Um and it works really well. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm placing that, um, and we're still extending that neck a little yes. bit, not quite to the ceiling there because I need to be able to, um, I'd be on the ceiling to try and visualise the glottis. And um, we're placing that um, endoscope beside um, the, the glottis, so visualising the glottis. I, and with these techniques of the um, guided techniques, um, I, I'm then using a little bit of the spray mark, the lignocaine spray. Yep. Um, first, giving that a few seconds to work, um, putting the spray bottle down, picking up my ET tube with the stylet in it. Um, and typically my tip with these are that where the stylet is right at the tip, the, the very end that's entering the, the, the glottis first, um, I almost have it like a little hook, the last... Um, the last centimeter or so mark i do a bend in it um yeah. sort of eventually there it has a little little a little crook or a hook on it um and that seems to work better in 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 entering there um and i'm i'm using that endoscope to to visualize it and um i'm seeing that and, and and i know for certain it's gone in there and it's a it's a very 
relaxing way to intubate them because you know you can see everything and and you know it's nine, there. Ninety nine percent of the time, you manage to intubate it very easily, very quickly. Mark, what other techniques have we got as far as guided well, techniques? I've used the um, the technique where I place the endoscope, the little. Uh, um, 1.5 millimeter scope inside the tube and like literally watch it go in so there are a number of locations you can stick your tube uh, but the other thing you can do is uh, use a relatively long otoscope uh, piece you can visualize the the um the, the uh, larynx the, um, the vocal folds with your uh, otoscope and slide the ET tube through the opening at the end of the otoscope and into the between the vocal folds um, and uh, get, get the ET tube in that way, still with the same head position. Um, the key thing with that one is that you've got to remove, obviously, remove the um, the the end of the ET tube so you can slide the otoscope tube off, then connect the whole setup to the anaesthetic machine. Yes, yes. And there are a few sort of custom-made um, little bits of gear, aren't there, Mark, that people have um, played around with that a little bit like an otoscope um, sort of equipment that almost like a, a, a cross between an, an otoscope and an endoscope um, that, that people have used. So, um, And using techniques of um, almost... Um, even syringe cases and using those as a method to sort of open up the back of that pharyngeal area as well. So there's lots of different methods there. But but basically the three three main techniques that people tend to use with rabbits are that blind technique where we're just doing it by feel, um, endoscope guided and various types of endoscopes are used and then um, otoscopic um, guided um, intubation as well. Now, Some we're trying to be punchy here, Brandon, yes. but I've got one quick question for you. What about the V-gel? What do you think about yes, the, the V-gel? V-gel. Well, explain to our listeners, Mark, what is the V-gel? Well, the V-gel is a pharyngeal intubation technique where a, um, I think it's made of silicon. Um, it's almost like a silicon mould of the pharynx, which... Um, you place into the pharynx because it's molded to the internal dimensions of the pharynx um, you can position whoever designs it can position the opening right over the the um the the opening to the airways um we've i've used they they are available for cats as well as rabbits um and um and i've given them a crack Brendan, but I can't tell you that um, over the moon, I much prefer having the tube in the airways. I, I'm not a big fan of the V-gels. I definitely have used them, and um, and I don't know they give me the confidence I desire. Yeah, there's, there's a, they're basically, yeah, they're a pharyngeal um, um, device, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. Um, and interestingly enough, I had an, um, one of those used on me, Mark, many... Um, years ago when I had mm. um, knee surgery uh, and I must admit that um, the recovery was good because I wasn't didn't have a croaky f- and sore throat um, because they use one of those pharyngeal devices and they are I think commonly used in humans yeah, as well yeah. for day, day surgery um, FYI <laughs> so um, yes so 
Yeah, the V-Gels, I think they work very well. I mean, um, personally, I don't use them. I prefer, just prefer the um, the the um, typical, um, um, what are we calling them? Um, in, um, endos- <laughs> endoscopic, t- the, I've gone blank. Endotracheal tubes. Endotracheal tubes. <laughs> um, but, however, I have actually taught... Um, to 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 two classes how to use the VGLs market at yeah. conferences, and um, yeah, they are a pretty unique device. I think the key key um, tricks with them are um, make sure you choose the VGL that's different sizes. Um, choose the appropriate VGL based on the rabbit size because it has to. It is designed for rabbit um, the rabbit anatomy in that area to sit. Um, correctly and if it is sitting correctly then great it works fantastic um, but the downside of that is if you knock the rabbit or you're moving around during surgery it might pop off um, and, and not sit sit and then then you you'll know things are going wrong and that leads me to the second thing and that you really need to it's essential there's no no way around it you need to be able to measure the expired co2 um, you need a capnograph attached to it um, in order yeah. to s- detect whether or not it's working properly and it's sealing properly um, or sealing the wrong way and just sealing the, the, the yeah. trachea um, yeah so they're the two 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 provisos with it but apart from that they're, they're great devices they, they can be used multiple times i think they come with a little little a little chart where you just mark off how many times you've used it and um sterilized it again i think it's something like 40 times in, in it, it's it's sort of um registered for but people often use them for 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 more times than that um so yeah the, they are they are and, and and the beauty of them is that yeah you just shove it down the back there and once you get used to the technique they actually they, they work very well mark um as long as you're careful that you're not knocking knocking it off where it should sit and that it does sit correctly what about other species, Brendan? What about um, yeah? Well, let's jump into our punchy response to some of the other small mammals. I'll just mention a couple of them, Mark, um, and one in particular that 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 is a is a big challenge. But ferrets, Mark, um, ferrets are tiny little trachea. They they are very easy to intubate, but yeah. that glottis sits a fair a long way back. So my tip for ferrets is grab that gauze swab again and pull that tongue forward as far as you can, have somebody pushing up from underneath the assistant um, in between the, um, under the chin there um, to visualise that glottis and apart from, and put a bit of spray on there as usual and away you go. And and a good uh, laryngoscope with the appropriate sized blades, I find makes a world of difference for ferrets. The combination of um, pulling the tongue forward, which moves the larynx forward, some good visualisation, light and a blade, and someone pushing up from underneath, and most of the time they go pretty well. Yes, yes. What about guinea pigs, Brendan? Don't get me started, Mark. Um, (laughs) Guinea pigs are tricky, Um, and and I must admit for 99% of the guinea pigs that I do surgery on, including major surgery, you'll you'll be shocked to hear this. I do not intubate them. Uh, Well, I'm I'm the same. I'm I was committed to intubating these animals like all I want them to have the gold standard but I found that the efforts I was making to get the tube in was taking longer in some instances than the surgery and compromising the animal more and I was so regularly failing to get the tube in that I too only do it when I absolutely have to. 
Yeah, there's a there's a good little article um, using a syringe case, Mark, um, yeah. as as a guide. Um, it was I think it was posted in um, exotic, you know, vet magazine or whatever. Um, might have been exotic in the old DVM. exotic DVM. It may have been, yeah. I think, um, uh, back in the day. Um, and and I did find that that you know it didn't. In my experience, it didn't quite work as well as probably my my clumsiness um, as, as what they described in the actual article. But there are, um, it's a challenge is, is the bottom line. And if I am going to intubate those guinea pigs, I would be using endoscope guided yeah. mark um, to do it without a doubt. They're, they're, they are a challenge. What about rats and mice, Mark? What do you do with those? Well, I, uh, I regularly use the, um, where I do have to intubate them, you know, the cutoff catheter type arrangement. Uh, but similarly, there's often times where I'm just going, okay, this is a short procedure. We're just going to keep them on a mask. Yep, yep. And the beauty of our little Mises mark, um, mice, um, my mask for a mouse is the little burette, the little drip, drip, drip bit of the giving set, you know, the bit that... Um, Good tip. It's f- soft and flexible. And it fits perfectly over the head of a mouse mark um so that bit of the giving set where you see the little um the 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 fluid dripping um you you cut that off um attach a little adapter to it and it fits perfectly over the face of the of the mouse if there's ever a way to macgyver something so it's less (laughs) expensive you know it brendan it works, Mark. It's not necessarily <laughs> the fact it's less expensive. It does the trick. It does the trick. Um, do you want to mention any other any other species, Mark, about intubating um, as far as exotic pets? And the... None that I can oh. think of off the top of my head. I was just going to mention that um, we have used isoflurane to anaesthetise a number of arthropods, arachnids, um, and, um, and for those species, obviously, we don't intubate them. Um, their spiracles are too small, but um, whacking them in a, a uh, well, just use a face mask for a, um, a, 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 a dog, um, hold it on the bench and have your Selena Cosmia, your uh, Cooktown um, giant uh, spider in there, and they, they are anaesthetised well with um, isoflurane. But um, other species? Can't think of anything. Well, yes, we're we're getting off intubation, aren't we? With um, I love I love your description of the anaesthetic for them. We'll just whack them in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think with that, Mark, um, we may talk a little bit more in detail in a future podcast about anaesthesia techniques and and anaesthetic gases and injectables, etc., induction agents for some of these other species in the future. But I think with that. We'll get out of here and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.